Hello and welcome to this special audio performance of A Christmas Carol. This has been a very special production for us, as it has offered us a sense of community at a time when its absence is keenly felt, as well as the opportunity to reconnect and collaborate with so many talented people. We hope you enjoy this production, and in the spirit of its story, we hope you will consider donating to Artist Relief and the Theatre Philadelphia Relief Fund. These organizations are working to aid artists facing financial hardship due to the global pandemic. Arts and culture account for nearly $900 billion of the U.S. economy, contributing over 5 million jobs. 2.7 million of those jobs have since been lost, and many artists face an uncertain future. You can help by donating to Artist Relief, a national relief fund, at artistrelief.org. You can also support Philadelphia Theater, where most of our cast work or got their start, by donating to Theater Philadelphia Emergency Relief at theaterphiladelphia.org. By necessity, all of the artists recorded their parts from home, and the audio quality may vary. This production is dedicated to Richard Curry, who knew how to keep Christmas well and kept its spirit in his heart all the year round. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. His sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend and sole mourner was his business partner, Ebenezer Scrooge. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood years afterwards, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days, and didn't thought one degree at Christmas. Once upon a time, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, and the fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole, and was so dense without that the houses opposite were mere phantoms. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eyes upon his clerk who, in a dismal little cell beyond a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! That cheerful voice was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimation he had of his approach. Bah, humbug! 
Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Ah, humbug. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older, but not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle! Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time, when it comes round, as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. And a happy new year. Good afternoon. His nephew left the room without an angry word, stopping at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge. There's another fellow, my clerk, with fifteen shillings a week, and a wife and family talking about Merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. This lunatic, in letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. Uh, at this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons, and the Union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish cheer of mind or body to the multitude, a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time, of all others, when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. 
I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. It's not my business. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentlemen withdrew. At length, the hour of shutting up the counting-house arrived. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. The office was closed in a twinkling, and the clerk ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Bluff. Scrooge went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on the threshold. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Also, that Scrooge had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in the city of London, even including, which is a bold word, the corporation alderman and livery. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven years dead partner that afternoon. And then let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without its undergoing any intermediate process of change, not a knocker, but Marley's face. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred, as if by breath or hot air, and, though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That, and its livid color, made it horrible. But its horror seemed to be in spite of the face, and beyond its control, rather than part of its own expression. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. To say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which it had been a stranger from infancy, would be untrue. But he put his hand upon the key he had relinquished, turned it sturdily, walked in, and lighted his candle. Up the stairs he went, and once more he checked every room, every nook, and every cranny before locking himself in. Thus secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon the disused bell that hung in the room, and he saw this bell begin to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound. But soon it rang out loudly, and so did every bell in the house. Suddenly the bells ceased as they had begun, together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below. 
then coming up the stairs, then coming straight toward his door. Without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. I know him, Marley's ghost! The same face, the very same. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. How now? What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you... Can you sit down? I can. Do it, then. <sighs> you don't believe in me. I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects me. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Y you, you see this toothpick? I do. You're not looking at it. But I see it, notwithstanding. Well... I have but to swallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. Ah! Mercy, dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. You are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Jacob, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge. And it is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house, mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. You must have been very slow about it. Seven years dead and traveling all this time? The whole time. You travel fast? On the wings of the wind. You might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years. Ah! Oh! oh, captive bound and double ironed. 
not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunity misused? Yet such was I, oh, such was I. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I... I think I'd rather not. Without their visit, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. And with that, the ghost of Jacob Marley disappeared. And so Scrooge waited in his bed for the first of his three visitors. As the bell tolled one, the curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Rise and walk with me. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood in a mansion of dull red brick. It was a clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. Good heaven, I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary young man, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Is that me when I was younger? And my sister Fan? These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. Dear, dear brother, I have come to bring you home, dear brother. Home, Fan? Yes, home for good and all. Home forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be, that home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed, that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you. And you're to never come back here. But first, we're to be together all the Christmas long, and have the merriest time in all the world. Always a delicate creature, whom a breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. So she had. She died a woman, and had, as I think, children. One child. True. Your nephew. Yes. Do you know this place? 
know it. I was apprenticed here. Why, it's old Fezziwig, bless his heart. It's Fezziwig alive again. Yo-ho, my boys! No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson. Clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Why, is it not? He has spent but a few pounds. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that. It isn't that, Spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. What is the matter? Nothing. I... I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now, that's all. My time grows short. Quick. Please, Spirit, not this. Not Bell. It matters little. To you, very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion, gain, engrosses you. Have I not? What then? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed toward you. Our contract is an old one. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? If you were free today, can I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? You who, in your very confidence with her, weigh everything by gain. Or choosing her if, for a moment, you were false enough to your one guiding principle to do so. Do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do. And I release you with a full heart, for the love of him you once were. Spirit, show me no more. I cannot bear it. Haunt me no longer. The boar's head in hand bring I, bedecked with bays and rosemary. I pray you, my masters, be merry, quodestis in convivio. Scrooge was back in his own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. 
heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne, were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up high up to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. You have never seen the like of me before. Never. Have never walked forth with the younger brothers of my family, meaning, <laughs> for I am very young, my elder brothers born in these later years. I don't think I have. Have you had many brothers, Spirit? <laughs> More than 1,800. A tremendous family to provide for. Mm -hmm. Spirit, conduct me where you will. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Hold on. And perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing off this power of hers, or else it was her own kind, generous, hearty nature, and her sympathy with all poor men, that led her straight to Scrooge's clerks. For there she went and took Scrooge with her. Up rose Mrs. Cratchit, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap and make a goodly show for sixpence and she laid the cloth assisted by her daughters, while two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the baker's they had smelt the goose and known it for their own. What has ever got your precious father, then, and your brother, Tiny Tim? In came Bob, the father, his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch, and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. And how did little Tim behave? As good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much, and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church, because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. He's going to be strong and hardy like his father, isn't that right, Tim? The children went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. Afterwards, the pudding was out of the copper, and Bob said that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs. Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind, she would confess that she had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat hearsay to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last, the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. Bob proposed a toast. A Merry Christmas to all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. 
Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. Mr. Scrooge, a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I'd hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children. Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. And so the ghost and Scrooge left behind the Cratchits to come upon another's home. It was a great surprise to Scrooge to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's, and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing, smiling by his side, and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. He said that Christmas was a humbug as I live. He believed it too. <laughs> More shame for him, Fred. He's a comical old fellow, that's the truth, and not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred. At least you always tell me so. What of it? His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good with it. He don't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking <laughs> that he ever is going to do any benefit to us with it. <laughs> I'm sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here. He takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He loses some pleasant moments, which could do him no harm. I am sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him. If he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. Come now, Fred, enough about your uncle. Let's play a game. How about yes and no? Oh, very good. Let me think. Mm. All right, I have something. Is it animal, mineral, or vegetable? Animal. Ooh. Is it a tamed animal or a wild one? Oh, savage. Or at least disagreeable. Does it make noise? It growls and grunts sometimes. Does it live in a menagerie? No, but perhaps it ought to. <laughs> Does it? Live in London? Oh, yes. It prowls the streets in a foul mood. I have found it out. I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. What is it? 
It's your Uncle Scrooge! (laughs) (laughs) He has given us plenty of merriment, I am sure. And it would be ungrateful not to drink his health. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, whatever he is. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless. Here's a glass of mulled wine ready to our hand at the moment. And I say, Uncle Scrooge! Uncle Uncle Scrooge! (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly become so light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked them in an inaudible speech, if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. It was a long night, if it were only a night. But Scrooge had his doubts of this, because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed into the space of time they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it, until he noticed that its hair was gray. My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight, at midnight. Hark, the time is drawing near. Forgive me if I'm not justified in what I ask, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your robe. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw for the flesh there is upon it. Look here. From the foldings of its robe it brought two children. Wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. They were a boy and girl. Meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostate too in their humility. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation as monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge started back appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves. Spirit, are they yours? They are man's, and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy... Is ignorance, this girl, is want. Beware them both, but most of all, beware this boy. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisoners? Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley, and lifting up his eyes beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand but for this it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. (laughs) 
You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? I fear you more than any specter I've seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me. I know. Lead on, spirit. They scarcely seem to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them and encompass them of its own act. But there they were, in the heart of it. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen, Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why? What was the matter with him? I thought he'd never die. God knows. What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. He hasn't left it to me. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, for upon my life, I don't know of anybody to go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer? I don't mind going if a lunch is provided. I know these men. Why do you show me this? Who are they talking about? They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated before, although he recognized its situation and its bad repute. It has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. <laughs> That's true enough. No man more so. If he wanted to keep him after he was dead, a wicked old screw, why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was struck with death. Instead of lying there, gasping out his last, alone, by himself... Open up the bundle, Joe. I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's why I ruined myself. What do you call this? Bed curtains? Yeah, bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, with them lying there. Yes, I do. Why not? You were born to make your fortune, and you'll certainly do it. <laughs> Oh, he frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. Spirit, I see, I, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. Merciful heaven, what is this? You went today then, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little child. Are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if preserved in, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. 
Say it is thus with what you show me. Spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be that man. I must have been but for this intercourse. Why show me this, if I am past all hope? Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will change. I will. I must. In his agony, Scrooge caught the spectral hand before him. It sought to free itself, but he was strong in his entreaty and detained it. The spirit, stronger yet, repulsed him. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. The holly and the ivy, when they are both full grown, of all the trees that are in the wood, the holly bears the crown. Oh, the rising of the sun, and the running of the deer, the playing of the merry old sweet singing in the choir. The bed curtains, they're not torn down, they're, they're not torn down, rings and all. They're here, I am here, the shadows of the things that would have been may be dispelled. They will be. I know they will. Oh, thank you, Jacob. I'm a new man. I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas, everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist. Clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold cold piping for the blood to dance to, golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet fresh air, merry bells. Below he saw a young boy in Sunday clothes. What's today? Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Why, Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I did. An intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one? What? The one big as me? Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now. Is it? Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here, that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. <gasps> Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. He shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. <laughs> Scrooge dressed in his finest and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and questioned beggars and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock. But he made a dash and did it. Why, bless my soul. I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in? It is a mercy he didn't shake his arm off. He was at home in five minutes. Nothing could be heartier. 
His niece looked just the same. So did everyone when they came. Wonderful party, wonderful games, wonderful happiness. But he was early at the office next morning. Oh, he was early there. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late, that was the thing he had set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine. No Bob. A quarter past. No Bob. He was full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come into the tank. His hat was off before he opened the door, his comforter too. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello? What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I am very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore... And therefore, I'm about to raise your salary! <laughs> a Merry Christmas, Bob! A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family, and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon. Who over a Christmas bowl of smoking Bishop, Bob? Make up the fires, and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit! Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city ever knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with spirits, and ever afterwards it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. You have been listening to A Christmas Carol, adapted by myself, Hank Curry, from the novel by Charles Dickens. The role of Ebenezer Scrooge was played by Harrison Lambert. Von Dexter Montague II played Fred, Scrooge's nephew. Bill Roebling played Marley's ghost. Zana Yoshida played the ghosts of Christmas past. Becky Zaritsky played Fan and Mrs. Cratchit. Megan McGee played Belle. Jenna Kersey played the ghost of Christmas present. Victor Rodriguez played Joe. Leslie Miller played Scrooge's niece, the charity worker, the business associate, the ragwoman, and the little boy. I narrated and read the remaining parts. The music was played by Beth Mead and John Catterall. This production was recorded using Anchor and Zencaster, edited on Audacity, and distributed through Anchor. A very special thanks is due to everyone who collaborated on this project, contributing their time and talents. And a special thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this production, please consider donating to Artist Relief at artistrelief.org and the Theatre Philadelphia Emergency Fund at theaterphiladelphia.org. If you didn't enjoy this production, please consider donating anyway. Thank you very much, and have a happy holiday.